Okay. We will now have the sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews for the title, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's letter to the Corinthians begins this way. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. A letter, of all things, a powerful letter to this church. A letter also written to us, because it come down through the ages. And I'm very glad to have Paul's writings, and I hope you are too, because they're some of the most powerful and most informative writings that help us to understand a great deal about Jesus Christ, eternal life, the rewards that we are going to have in the kingdom. But what about this man who signed his name Paul and called an apostle of Jesus Christ? Was he always called Paul? Well, I think everyone in this room knows differently than that. That at one time, his name was Saul. And at one time, he didn't want to have anything to do with this being called Jesus Christ. And at one time, he was out trying to destroy everything that the that was going on and that was bringing the name of Jesus Christ. But that changed, didn't it? So I want to give a little front to chapter 1 because that's what my message is about today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul always had a very interesting almost all of his letters to any of the churches. He always had something as an introduction to that uh, to his letters and uh, and to uh, and as a um, uh, a greeting and 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 helping them to be aware of what he was going to bring and how he was going to to approach things. I think this particular letter, First Corinthians, has so much in it that we have learned from the resurrection and the spirit in man, and the spirit uh, from God, and all of the things that he teaches. And even in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, how, um, how to deal with different things in the church, this, is a, this, this whole epistle, this whole letter, it's called epistles, but they're really letters, that were sent out to the churches. So let's, let's go to Acts, let's go to Acts, the ninth chapter, and let's look a little bit at this individual and what happened to him on his in his life and Saul 
is that what his name was, yes, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to, the, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecute you me? And that'd be interesting. I, I have, um, by the way, I'm reading out of the King James on my EPAB because I, I do have a few things that I want to look at as we go through because I can actually get the Strong's numbers off of them. But this individual, and, and he was, he was, he was very, uh, how can we say it? Very energetic with what he did. <laughs> when he did it, he was energetic about it. And he wanted to persecute those new converts to this way. But Jesus stopped him and he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute us. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you that you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So he was blinded. He was blinded. I think Jesus wanted to make a point. And he was, he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prays and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. But the Lord said unto him, Go your way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Very interesting, isn't it? That he had to... Because of his zeal in his persecution of the church, Jesus chose him to have zeal for his way, for the truth, and to reach out. And so Ananias went his way 
entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you in that way as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Let's see how much further I wanted to go with this one. I think that was it, because I wanted to just get a little background of Jesus' call. He says, I was called. Well, what a calling. What an amazing calling for this man. (laughs) he's cute let's go to Galatians the first chapter and let's pick it up we can find Galatians in here times beginning in verse 11 Paul, in his writings, defended himself a lot. I imagine because of his persecution of the church and the things that he had to suffer and go through, he was one of those that actually reached out and told people why and what things happened to him and and how God was with him and how he... uh, how he took him and used him for a great work. He says, I certify, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by, uh, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my uh, conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many in my equals, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other than the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once was destroyed, and they glorified God in me. And so, by reaching out and telling them that he was called to be an apostle, be one sent, And that his zeal now was for bringing the gospel message to all. And so we have so much of his writings. And so much of him in those writings. And it's so wonderful to have them. In 2 Corinthians, 
We read some more that Paul writes in chapter 11 and beginning in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 11:16. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast my, myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolish in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I glory also. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing you yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak concerning reproach, as though we have been weak, albeit wheresoever any is bold. I speak foolishly, I am, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons, more frequent in depths, deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day. I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in the watching often, in, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and in cold and nakedness. So how, how far did I want to go? I want to keep going. Besides those things that are without that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches, who is weak? Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I am not burned not? If I, must, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Artis, the king, kept the city of Damascus with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. So the writer of 1 Corinthians went through a great deal in his life. As Jesus said, these were the things that you were going to suffer for the gospel message. Once again, chapter 12 this time. Beginning in verse 7, to finish up Paul's background a little bit here. Unless I should be exalted above measure and through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that I might depart for, it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, 
for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, for all of his life, while he was after he was called, he had some infirmity. I imagine it had to do with his eyes. I'm not sure about that. But whatever it was, he prayed that God would take it away so he would have more strength. And yet God said, no, that's not going to happen. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And, and there's something about being weaker, because if you give a person perfect health and everything, they might, they might turn that into something else. And so with this infirmity, oops, how did I do that? I touched the wrong button. <laughs> Um, he said therefore I take pleasure in the infirmities in the reproaches in necessities in persecutions in distress for Christ's sake for when I am weak then I am strong and so we see Paul's background here and how he really suffered a lot through all that he did and yet Christ and the Father were with him through it all. And we know that he has a place in the kingdom. He has run the race. He has uh, won the crown. And he has left us a legacy of his writings. And we're so very, very thankful for that. Uh, let's go back now and let's look at some things in this first chapter of 1 Corinthians and let's go back and look at this beginning. Paul, and we just saw how he was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Like one called out. That, that's an interesting word. Oops, come on. There we go. A delegate, specifically an ambassador of the gospel. Officially a commissioner of Christ. Apostle. With miraculous powers. Apostle. Messenger. He that is sent. He that is sent. Paul definitely was sent, wasn't he? By Jesus Christ. And to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And I've got a little... Um, sometimes, where are these places? <laughs> um... Where is Corinth? Corinth is a Grecian city on the Isthmus which joins the Peloponnesus. Don't give me, I have no idea if I pronounced that right. To the mainland of Greece. It is about 48 miles west of Athens. The ancient city was destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC. And that mentioned in the New Testament was quite a new city having been rebuilt about a century afterwards and peopled by a colony of freedmen from Rome. It became under the Romans the seat of government for uh, southern Greece or Achaea. It was noted for its wealth and for, uh, for its wealth and for the luxurious and immoral vicious habits of the people. 
so you can see what he went into and what he was faced with. It had a large mixed population of Romans, Greeks, and Jews. When Paul visited the city in AD 51 or 52, Galio, the brother of Seneca, was proconsul. Here Paul resided for 18 months. And you find this in, in Acts 18th chapter. I'm not going to go there. And you can read through that if you'd like. Here he first became acquainted with Aquila and Priscilla, and, and soon his departure, uh, uh, his departure, Apollos, came to it from Ephesus. After an interval, he visited a second time and remained for three months. And you can see that in Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 3. During this second visit, his epistle to the Romans was written, A.D. 55. Although there are many Jewish converts at Corinth, yet the Gentile element prevailed in that church there. So it's a very interesting place where he wrote uh, this epistle to. So let's go back. Now I'll go back to them. To them that are sanctified. I love that word. It's, it's a beautiful word. And, and here's what it means. It means to be, to make holy. That is, purify or consecrate. To venerate, to hollow, hallow, to be holy, to sanctify. To make holy. To those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's us. All right, isn't it? You've been baptized, received God's Holy Spirit. You're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. Don't have to wait till you're dead. <laughs> like the Roman, Roman Catholic Church wants to wait. To, well, we've got to make sure this guy's a saint. Well, the Bible says that those who are called, who receive the Holy Spirit, who believe in Jesus Christ, are called saints. And that also is sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, or religious, ceremonially consecrated. Uh, most holy, one thing, a saint. That's a beautiful word for us, brethren. To be called saints. With all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you. And peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you notice, there's no salutation to the Holy Spirit. That's not because it's not a person. In all of Paul's writings, he always, in those salutations, those beginnings, always opened with that grace be unto you. And some of it was a little different. And peace from God our Father and our Lord, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful opening to the to this epistle. To, you would open this up, and you would look, and you would see. You would, would be drawn in automatically to what Paul was going to begin to, 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 to reveal in this letter. A beautiful letter. I thank my God always, verse 4, on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about this, the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, I thought of a couple of scriptures that I think fit very well in this because 
the word, and I say, I don't know if this is, whoops, back to the Bible. Yeah, this is, this is the definition that Lawrence has quoted many times, and this is the definition I think is very, very good for grace. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life including gratitude, acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, grace, joy, liberality, pleasure, thank, thank wor- thanks and thankworthy, grace. But one of the things that's wonderful about this grace is that Jesus Christ sits in a position to help us, doesn't he? We're all, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we know that. And without an advocate before the Father, we would be, we would have problems, wouldn't we? Let's see what it says in 1 John. Because 1 John kind of clears this up a little bit. 1 John, the second chapter, verse 1, 2, and 3. He says, My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's one of the benefits that we have in having Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. He is our advocate. And that means He is the one that stands as an intercessor, a counselor, an advocate, a comforter. If we go on trial before God, we go before Jesus Christ, and Christ is the one that's our advocate before the Father. And He is the propitiation. He is that atonement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See what the Father and the Son have worked out? in bringing many sons into the kingdom because they know our weakness. They know we sin. They know that we are weak. But we have an advocate at the right hand of the Father. And hereby we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. So, there is a requirement. A requirement. We must keep the commandments. We must do as as the best as we can. But if we sin, we have an advocate at the right hand of the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One other thing that Jesus does that is very interesting. And let's go to Hebrews, the 8th chapter, and beginning in verse 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the Son. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is necessary that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest seeing there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. And that was, at the time that this was written, the Levitical priesthood was still uh, 
in operation, still viable. And so when the, the author wrote, wrote this, he understood that. Who serve unto the example and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, says he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed you in the temple. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. And so we have a high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father. There's many things that Jesus does. And, and all of it, all of it, is to bring you and I into the kingdom. To have one large family in the kingdom of God. That's the whole point of what we see in the scriptures and Paul is bringing out in a lot of his epistles, a lot of his letters that he sends to the various churches. So let's go back now again to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. Let's pick it back up. We've gone through the salutation. We've gone to the, the verse 4. That in everything you be enriched, verse 5, that in everything you be enriched by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Has the testimony of Jesus Christ been confirmed in those that have been baptized? Sure it has. It has. Because you live this way. And it's interesting that we even understand things that most um, people that are called Christians out there do not understand. God has, through Jesus Christ, has made us privy to His true plan through the holy days, through the Sabbath. He's made us privy to those things. And it's a wonderful blessing to understand it. And we're not caught up into the, to the things of this world, but into the things that are spiritual. And you can see that in chapter 2. You want to go look there. The spiritual things is what God is revealing through His Word. Deep things. And sometimes, as Paul's writings are, a little bit difficult to understand. But once we understand the deep things of, of what he has written, they become so much a part of us. Even the testimony of Christ, that is, um, the Decalogue, be testified, the, te the witness of Jesus Christ was confirmed in us so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has provided us, hasn't he? He's provided us with what we need to make it into the kingdom. Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures is in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. If you think about this, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, Paul says in this in this this letter to the Thessalonians. 
I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep, which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort, comfort one another in these words. And so you can see how we can understand Paul's thinking and his uh, as he writes and, and gives these different letters to, to these different churches, as he expands on what Jesus has taught him and what's coming in the kingdom of God and how we all have a hope of someday being resurrected into that kingdom. I always try to read this one at any funeral because I believe it is so... It, it should be um, something that is very dear to, to the hearts of those who are bereaved, and especially those that believe. Let's go back now to 1 Corinthians, in the first chapter. Let's pick it back up here in verse 9. God is faithful. One of the things that you can count on. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We are called unto the fellowship. That's an interesting word, fellowship. That's a, it's a partnership. That is literally participation. You are called to participate in the, the gospel message. You are called to participate in the kingdom of God someday. Intercourse or benefaction, communicate, communion, distribution, fellowship. I like that word. Fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so, God hates division. We know that from, from the Proverbs and different things. And so we, we, try, we always try to speak the same thing and make judgments in a righteous way. And he says, For it's been declared unto me of you by, by uh, you my brethren and by them which are the house of Chloe uh, that, are, uh, that are contentions among you. That there's contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you says I am of Paul or I am of Paulus or I am Cephas or, and, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I think when it comes down to men preaching and teaching, you have to realize that we are fallible. We are not Jesus Christ. We are not God the Father. And even though we do baptize, and Paul laments that maybe he, some people were baptized by him, and I'll read that in a minute. But realize, brethren, that we are men and infallible. And the head of this church is Jesus Christ, and always will be. He says, He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ or the stake, as Reg has pointed out many times, because that word, even though it says cross there in the, in the King James, it can mean a stake or a post, as something upright, that is a pole or a cross. So, that lest that uh, the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So, <clears throat> for the preaching of the, in verse 18, for the preaching of the stake is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. I picked this, this uh, verse here. Let's go to uh, Colossians, the second chapter. Now, there, even in some of this, there is always a learning curve of learning some of the things that Paul taught. He says this in verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And that seems like what happens a lot is the world is brought in and, not, and the message um, dwindles away. We want to preach the message. We want to preach the gospel message. We want to preach Christ and Him crucified as uh, Paul once said. I got down to the point where I was just preaching Christ and Him crucified. He says... For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Do you believe that, that you are complete in Jesus Christ? You should. That's what Paul said, that we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcised made without hands in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith and the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his stake. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in, in it. So he was triumphant in every way over those things. In Romans, the 8th chapter, if you want to really, another deep book to work through is the book of Romans. And beginning in verse 1, 8, 1, I'm not going to read all of Romans. I love the 8th chapter of Romans. It's, it's almost a baptism chapter. Just a beautiful chapter to read through. There is therefore now no condemnation to they to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm not going to go into that today. It's a little deeper study. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. He says, because the carnal mind is an enmity, the word enmity means enemy against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then that they are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's go back and let's pick it up again in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, as we So here we go, towards the end of this first chapter and the interesting things that Paul has had to say about it. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Look at the wisdom of this world that we just come through. To, to most of us in this room, what these people were celebrating is, is, is fairly obvious. And yet, it is so ingrained in the world. It is so ingrained in the world that no matter how much you open the wisdom of God and show them the truth of the holy days and the Sabbath and all of that and the foolishness of keeping the, the, the holidays that, that have no meaning 
I was thinking, when you put Christ and mass together, what do you, that doesn't make any sense. A mass, as someone explained, is a, is like the Passover. It's, it's the Eucharist. It's, it's a, it's the death ordinance in the Catholic Church. So here we have Christ for a birthday tied to Mass, which is death. And it makes no sense whatsoever. And yet no one, because of um, whatever, I'm, I'm assuming customs, traditions, all the things that go in, government leaders will not change. And all of those things continue on as they have. When you see the truth and that is opened up to you and you realize how foolish those things are and God calls it foolishness and calls the world that is steeped in those things foolishness. He says in verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Isn't that? Man, that's beautiful. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for you see your calling, brethren. Now here we are. <laughs> we are called, but we must, we, we must be circumspect about our calling, shouldn't we? We, we must understand what our what we're like. And, and Paul lays it out for all of us to see. For you see your calling, brethren, how the, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised as God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's the whole point. Some, some of these leaders become so vain, so narcissistic, that they, they think that they're almost God. And yet God has chosen you and I to come into the kingdom and to show them the right way. And it will be a glorious day when the weak show the strong their sins. He says, "...and the, the base things of the world and the things which are despised as God chosen, yea, 
the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If you want to, to have a nice Bible study, there is a, is a whole verse that you could do. You could go through wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And you would have quite a, quite a Bible study by the time you finish that one. That according as it is written, He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Not in human beings, but in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who sits at the right hand of the Father as our advocate and our high priest forever and ever. Amen.